Thank you, Kat. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? All right. Uh, my name's Eric. I'm the uh, director here at Bethany Green Lake, campus pastor, however we want to think about that. I lead the staff team. I work alongside Pastor Richard. Super privileged for me to be here. Thanks to Kat for hosting us in worship and Abigail for being there this morning so that I could be here. It's a privilege. I uh, want to welcome all of you and those of you online, also those of you over in the chapel. Hello. Uh, we're continuing our, our series this morning in the book of Ephesians, which is called Found, uh, re- Recovering Our True Identity in Christ. It's very important that us as the people of God know what it means to be the people of God, and that's what the book of Ephesians tells us in this series uh, is about. And so you can catch up on the first four weeks of the series online, but let me give you the short cliff notes. The word says we've been given everything that we need by Jesus. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Uh, That feels like we can just know that and and be done and go home. But wait, there's more. Uh, We've been made alive. We're no longer uh, slaves to sin and death because of the work of Jesus. We've been reconciled to God and to one another through the work of Jesus on the cross. And every dividing wall torn down, the promises and power of Jesus made available for all people. But to what end, we ask? Uh, Well, Ephesians chapter one, right at the beginning, tells us this, that history is headed toward the summing up of all things in Christ. Chapter one, verses nine and 10, God made known to us the mystery of his will to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Sounds great. Sign me up. How do we do it, right? That's our question for this morning, and, and verse uh, chapter four uh, unpacks that for us. Our identity is God's people in Christ's body, and this is an identity that we need to understand, that we need to live into, especially today. Uh, so let's pray as we open the text together. God, we thank you for bringing us here. God, we thank you uh, that we uh, can gather uh, freely and safely as your people And God, we ask that you would open up uh, your word to us, that your spirit would move among us as we we listen, that we would bring our whole selves, that as uh, the light of your truth shines uh, in our hearts and on our lives, that we wouldn't wouldn't run or shrink back or hide in any way, but we would freely receive the warmth of your truth, that it would change our lives uh, this morning, God. And so we ask that you would move among us. We love you. In your name, amen. So I was doing some yard work uh, the other day, and uh, I remembered that there's, there's weeds all over, and I've got one of those like annoying weed pullers. You go around one by one, and then afterward, your hands really hurt. So I was like, I'm going, I'm going hardcore. I remembered that I had this big like bottle thing of weed killer with like a handle, and then a little like nozzle attached to it. This is as close that I ever get to a gun. So I armed myself with this stuff, and I started going around, and I'm like, killing all the weeds right and then something I'm in my driveway and I see there's our driveways kind of cracked and there's these spots where where weeds have started to grow and so I thought uh, oh this is perfect so I get ready and I'm about to go like full Tarantino on on these weeds uh, I said Eastwood at the last service because of the 8 a.m uh, and 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 they got it so we're good we're changing we're changing it up throughout the day so I'm about to, I'm about to, to take prisoners, or take, not take prisoners, I'm, I'm about to end them, uh, and something catches my eye, and I see 
that there's this like sand that, that they're pulling up out of the cracks or I don't know where it came from uh, and they're carrying little sticks along they're working together and it's this beautiful thing. It, it reminded me, uh, I had this flashback in the moment to when I was a kid with a, with a magnifying glass. Did anybody ever have the magnifying glass? They're way more at the 8 a.m. So when you're a kid and you have a magnifying glass, you don't lo- use it to look closer at the ants. Uh, you use a little thing called the sun and then there's some science involved and you, and you, you burn them. Like uh, you, you did. This is what I was like before I met Christ, <laughs> right? Like God had not begun the work in my life and so I was a stone cold ant killer and it was about to happen again until I looked down and I saw they're doing something. Someone, I don't know what they were doing but someone came up to me after the eight and told me what they were doing that they bring out the sand and then they let the hot sun heat it up and then by the end of the day, they bring it back down and it like warms them. And I was just gonna speed up that process. I was, I was gonna make them very, very warm. Uh, but it's this idea of a magnifying glass that makes us wanna look a little closer. Uh, and it's a silly example, but it's instructive for us uh, to our understanding of us as the church, the people of God. I wouldn't have noticed one ant, nor would, I have, nor would one ant have been able to do anything very significant. Um, but looking closer, it was amazing what they were doing uh, together. I went back the next day, uh, and now I'm remembering this. There was, there was nothing, uh, the sand wasn't there. Like, they did bring that out. And that's, that's an amazing thing that happened. Um, they were working together, moving in unison almost. And the Apostle Paul holds this out for us. As, as a goal. The message says it this way, we're to work together until we're moving rhythmically and easily with one another, efficient and graceful. Uh, they had a plan in mind and they were working toward its, its fullness. And Ephesians 4 holds a magnifying glass up to our life together, bringing into greater focus uh, three characteristics of the church, three aspects of our identity uh, that, that enable us to reach the fullness of what God Uh, has for us, that we are a unified people, we are a gifted people, and are becoming a mature people. So unified, gifted, mature, these are in your bulletin, you can follow along. But let's start with the first, we're a unified people. Uh, If you open up uh, the word to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, maybe you're there, I'll read it for us. Uh, The text says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to declare today that the church is unified and mean it takes a bit of imagination at, at times. Uh, it's my experience that we fight like reality show contestants and the ratings are good. People are watching this. One of, the, one of the biggest reasons for this common assertion that the church is made up of hypocrites, aside from scandals among our leadership over the years, uh, it, it's the way that we treat one another. In fact, the good work we do as a church is often overshadowed by the way that we treat one another. We're divided theologically and, and socially and politically. In any way we can slice and dice scripture in one another, uh, we've done it. We are divided. But in light of all this, it can sometimes feel like the blood of Christ is all we have in common. And the good news this morning is that that's actually all that we need. 
There may be thousands of denominations founded on all sorts of theological and cultural distinctions, but the testimony of scripture, particularly in Ephesians 4, is that there is only one church. That the only distinction that matters is that the blood of Jesus is flowing through our veins, the spirit of God is in us, that we are children of the same father. And one of the places we see these, these fractures most clearly today is along uh, racial and ethnic lines within the church and, and, and broader in culture. I've been reading a book by a man named John Perkins, who's the founder of the Christian Community Development Association, and he for years and years and years, decades and decades, has, has been uh, working on the front lines of reconciliation and justice in some of our most fractured communities. I'd encourage you to, to look up his work, go to YouTube, John Perkins, find an interview. You will be blessed with the wisdom of an incredible, uh, incredible man who has um, fought from the civil rights movement to now uh, for equality and justice in the world, particularly in the church. And he has this book, One Blood, Parting Words to the Church on Race. Uh, he's, John is now in his 80s, I think, and he's preparing uh, to know that his work here will be done. So he's leaving it all out on the court and, and we're the beneficiaries of it. He's talking about reconciliation. Here's what he says. The problem of reconciliation in our country and in our churches is much too big to be wrestled to the ground by plans that begin in the minds of men. This is a God-sized problem. It is one that only the church through the power of the Holy Spirit can heal. It requires the quality of love that only our Savior can provide. And it requires that we make some uncomfortable confessions. He quotes G.K. Chesterton who says, it isn't that they can't see the solution, it's that they can't see the problem. I believe this statement can be applied to the lack of reconciliation within the church today, that we've been able to arrive at the solution because we haven't seen or acknowledged the problem. And the problem is this. There's a gaping hole in our gospel. We have preached a gospel that leaves us believing that we can be reconciled to God, but not reconciled to our Christian brothers and sisters who don't look like us. Brothers and sisters with whom we are, in fact, one blood and we are one blood, and this unifies us. And it's powerful if we lean into it. Paul, Paul doesn't tell us to go and reverse engineer unity, right? We're not, we're not NASA trying to figure out how to bring the crew home when all systems have failed. Jesus has done that work. We are all systems go, and our job, as Paul urges us, is to live into what's been done. We've got to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, it says there is already one, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, and so on. And Perkins is right. We're, we're applying solutions to a problem that many times we, we haven't fully understood. And I'll confess that God's doing a work in me. I'm starting to see the problem in a new way. I've, I've always seen it at a level, but God is moving in me uh, to engage in a different way. I was reading this book a few weeks ago at at Starbucks where I'll, I'll often kind of camp out for a bit and uh, there were some, I sat down with the book and started to grab my headphones and I sat down right at the same time as these two women and the one woman looked over at me as I was putting, grabbing the headphones out and she was like, you're gonna want those, we talk a lot. <laughs> and so, so I put them on but like I, I was like, I'll just listen a little bit. Like, I, they talked about everything. I learned, I learned lots of things. Uh, one of the sons is kind of involved in some stuff and the other one's giving advice because her son went through that. I said a little prayer for him. 
uh, both that he would, he would you know, move on and flourish and that he and mom would work some things out. So I learned a lot that day. But in between listening to their conversation, I'm reading this book and, and man, I just, these big like alligator tears just start streaming down my face. At one point she stopped, she looks over and she's like, are you okay? And I just held up the book and she was like, no idea what, what I was talking about. But, but I'll just share with you, here's, here's what did it for me. Uh, in, in that moment, I think, uh, Perkins says this, from our early days as a country, we adopted the practice of slavery and demonized the slave as inferior, subhuman, and deserving of exploitation. For this wicked system of slavery to survive, there had to be a distinction made between normal folks and this new breed of people that would be treated like animals. And this is where the idea of race came into play. The truth is that there is no black race and there is no white race. The idea of racial reconciliation is a false idea. It implies that there is more than one race. This is absolutely false. God created only one race, the human race. And of course we understand ethnicity and celebrate it in different ways, but Perkins goes on to talk about the experience at Pentecost, where people from all over the the world heard the glorious message of salvation in their own language. That this was reconciliation at its best and a preview of what would to come in the fullness of time and the end of days. He says, God never intended for his body to be one group that all looked the same. From the beginning of scripture to the end, the message of unity and diversity in the family of God is powerful. Unity was sown into the very fabric of creation. From one man, Adam, all of mankind was created. But this unity was to be reflected through great diversity. There are hints of this vision sprinkled throughout the Old Testament, signs that God was going to graft outsiders into his family, creating a multicolored body. God was beginning to graft in outsiders like Ruth and Rahab and others to show that though the people of Israel were his chosen people, he intended to spread the tent far and wide, that he intended to make out of many peoples one family of God, amen? He goes on to share this, this data from science that, you know, that it's like less than 1% of our genetic makeup. Uh, the, the actual differences that we see make up 1% of our genetic makeup. And, and this is a beautiful image for us. But God's saying to me, hey, look a little closer. A movement for me always begins in my heart. I think that's what those alligator tears were about. You may be the opposite. Movement for you begins in your head and, and, and if that's you, I encourage you, go and learn the extent of the, the fractures that exist between white and black. Listen to different voices, rich and poor. The statistics are, are staggering. And God, and ask God for the movement from your head to your heart. Either way, we all need to get out the magnifying glass and look a little closer. But one of the things that's become clear to me this week is that we often confuse unity with uniformity. We say we're never gonna worship like they do or, or because we don't agree on this particular thing that we can't have fellowship. We believe our differences divide us and yet scripture calls them grace, gifts given by Jesus. Listen to Eugene Peterson's unpacking of, of verse three in the message. It says, be alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. You are all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So stay together outwardly and inwardly. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. But that doesn't mean that you should all look and speak and act the same out of the generosity of Christ. Each of us is given their own gift. 
At Bethany, we've been given the gift over the, in the last season of, of Pastor Otis uh, and the congregation at Holly Park Community Church. Uh, Pastor Otis has joined us on staff for a few months, has been for a few months and will be for the next few as a pastor in residence with the opportunity for us just to fellowship together. We're learning a ton from him. He will say he's also learning stuff from us. There is a reconciliation that happens just through proximity. Uh, Being together in teaching team on Mondays where all of our lead pastors uh, come and begin to study and build a sermon together. He was sitting next to Richard and I noticed that both of their Bibles were the kind of Bibles you want your pastor to have. This tatterdice can be fallen out of the binding, page missing from a lifetime of flipping through and saying, God, what is it that you're calling uh, our people and us and me toward this week? Uh, It's been incredible. Uh, God's giving me a vision of what it looks like for our churches uh, to work together uh, in a new way. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those cycle saloon things. It's like a big bar on a bike. Sounds awesome. Uh, There's stools that people are sitting on around in the center. And, you know, and then everyone's got pedals on their feet and they pedal at whatever their pace is. But the bike is moving in one direction. It's a beautiful image for us as the church. Sometimes it feels like we're off on our own bike kind of going in whatever direction and the thing that unites us is that we like bikes or we like fitness or whatever but God has a different vision in mind for us that as we're on this this moving bike bar together called life that we can look across and hear and see each other's stories and and there's fellowship around that but as we pedal at whatever pace God calls us to we're headed in the same direction Uh, and this is a beautiful picture for us. I've titled this talk, Finding Fullness, and and Paul has us on the hunt for fullness in this passage. It's the goal laid out before us, that we're in pursuit of all that our lives together could be, what Jesus had in mind when he prayed for our unity. There are two barriers to to the fullness of what God has for his children, and the first is what I mentioned, this pursuit of uniformity. If we can't agree on something or or aren't the same, we, we say, see you later. And, and, and we want to stick with our tribe at times as, as we've narrowly defined it. Maybe it's skin color, or it's politics, or it's socioeconomic status, whatever it is. And the second barrier to unity is move beyond tribalism to just straight up individualism. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I want. I, I want to be free. We want to be free agents. We want to uh, have self-determination. We want to kind of write our own ticket. And this runs counter uh, to what God has, has, has called us to be uh, as his body. We have to resist the temptation of uniformity to erase our differences. Rather, as scripture says, we must be alert at noticing them and mending fences. And this is the first characteristic of our identity in Christ that we must live into, that we are different. We are a unified people. Christ did this work, and when divisions arise among us, we're called, as verse 2 suggests, to be patient and bear with one another in love because we are one. We are a unified people. And part of how we live into this unity that Christ gives us is to see and understand these differences as gifts. So we are a gifted people. That's our second point this morning. As we continue in our text, we'll look at verse 7. It says this, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So we've been united by Christ, but we've been graced with different gifts. And before we move on to understand these gifts, there's this curious 
parenthetical uh, in scripture uh, in verse nine about Jesus ascending and descending and what does this mean? The, the, the scripture says, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the universe. Now what does that mean? Uh, scholars have debated this. No shocker there. Uh, some wonder if this teaches that Jesus went to hell. So there's this doctrine, the harrowing of hell. It sounds like a denomination that exists somewhere, right? Like the harrowing of hell community church. Uh, where, where Halloween is like Easter or something. I don't know. They probably have great billboards. And others believe that Jesus descended into the grave. And so this is what it means by the lower earthly regions, right? Six feet under. While many others uh, believe this simply means that Jesus descended uh, to earth. But we shouldn't miss the point. It's important for us to understand in this that Christ had to come in the flesh to earth to do what he did. And he came bearing gifts. Central to our faith is this idea of the incarnation. That Jesus came in the flesh. So he came as a man and he came bearing gifts. And this is where the image of Christ as a body, this metaphor comes in for us. There's a hyperlink here to 1 Corinthians 12 in this conversation about we're a body made up of, of different parts, eyes and hands and feet, each with a different role to play. And there's, there's no use arguing over usefulness or status. That, that passage, now, now if the foot should say because I'm, or because if the foot should say because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, I would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? You get it. It goes on and says, if one part suffers, we all suffer with it and if one part is honored every part rejoices with it now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it so in our search for fullness we must see and celebrate the different giftings among us and and then in verse 11 Paul calls out these kind of churchy jobs right says so Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and the teachers And we have to stay focused here because it's easy for many of us to miss this and say, this isn't for me. We might say, I'm not any of those. I'm an accountant or or I'm a nurse or I'm a contractor. I'm a stay-at-home dad or I'm a student. Uh, The passage goes on to say that Jesus gave these people, these teachers, these apostles, the prophets and evangelists, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. By the way, when we read in Ephesians 1 that, that God's will is the unity of all things under Christ, we better believe that all of our jobs matter. Accountants and nurses and contractors and stay-at-home parents and students, all of these, fill in the blank of whatever it is you do all day, all of these are spiritual arenas that contribute to the fullness that God envisions for us. And this is important for us because we slip into thinking that that pastors are the ones doing the spiritual heavy lifting, that the institution of the church is tasked with the work of the kingdom. But the church is a people, as this text says, and the pastors are here to equip the people to do good works. 
There are about 750,000 people in our city limits and about 6,000 of them were at Bethany, one of our six locations on Easter. Praise God, most we've ever had. Uh, but there's a bit of a gap, and I don't know how many other churches had that day, right? 6,000, maybe there's 20,000 in churches. That to 750,000, it seems like y'all got some work to do, right? <laughs> we got to get out there. And this is where maturity comes in for us. Uh, I was at a gathering of pastors in the city recently, and uh, there were some people from Union Gospel Mission uh, presenting, and they had shared with us that they went around as a team to about 50 nonprofits in the city of Seattle. Uh, and they asked every one of them the same question. What is it that you need from the local church? And you know what they all said? One by one, we need mature Christians. We need you to go back and raise up a faithful people because we work with whatever vulnerable population uh, that needs, we work with at-risk youth. We work with uh, teen moms, we work with people experiencing homelessness, we work with name it. And, and the answer, the, the way that God's hands and feet needed to be present in all of those situations was through faithful Christians who could, who could support uh, the work of their ministry with patience and commitment and, and empathy and creativity. So we're a united people, we're a gifted people and we're called to be a mature people. Verse 13 holds up maturity as the key to fullness in Christ. And verses 14 and 15 tell us why that's important. The word says, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. I believe that God is calling, Christ is calling forward a mature body, lovers of his word who understand both the narrative arc of scripture and are able to faithfully interpret specific passages. We've seen the importance of that this week as leaders in our country have sought to twist scripture to justify cruel and inhumane immigration policy that would separate children from their parents. And Christ is also calling forward a mature body who speaks truth while still honoring and thereby loving our enemies. I'll just add here, if this feels political in some way, Jesus was political, but he wasn't partisan. Politics means public life and Jesus had a vision for our public life that supersedes our desire for borders and walls and nationalism. God calls us throughout scripture to welcome the stranger among us, even reminds us that we too were once strangers. Now this is an area that the church must continue to grow and mature in, and thankfully we're co-laborers in this growth. With Christ, it's not fully dependent on us. In fact, there is a promise of growth in scripture. The word here in verse 15 is oxano, and it's the same word for growth that's used in Matthew 13, 32 and 1 Corinthians 3, 6. Just listen to these. It says, though it is the smallest of seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. What a vision for the church. And this is Bethany. For 102 years now, we've been faithful responding to God in whatever season. And our numbers have grown. People are able to perch in our branches. And this is the work of God. 
1 Corinthians 3, 6 reminds us that it's not anyone's work in any one season, but God's calling different people along the way. Paul says, I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. The seed is good and God will make it grow. Our job is to continue to plant seeds, to play our part faithfully in each season and context that God places us. We have much to learn from the Ephesian church in this, in fact. I mentioned Pastor Otis. He reminded me uh, last week that, that the book of Ephesians isn't the only place we learn about the Ephesian church, that they are one of the, the seven churches in Revelation that was written to. And in that passage, it, it, says, uh, uh, it says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. This is Jesus to the church. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Now surely a mark of rightly ordered of of maturity is rightly ordered priorities. And Jesus says the Ephesian church had lost their first love. And what was their first love? I was taught growing up that they had replaced, let their their serving God replace their knowing God. And many times in my life, this has rung true for me, that God spoke to me uh, through this as I've kind of put my head down and worked and forgotten that God cares about my heart and wants to know me. Uh, So maybe this was their thing, but other scholars, and if that's you, I'd say turn and and bring that to God and know that God wants your heart. Pursue God for the sake of knowing God. God doesn't need us, but he wants us. He wants our hearts, not just our hands. But other scholars believe that the love that they had forgotten was their love for one another, was this brotherly, sisterly, neighborly love love, that they were serving God, seeking justice, they were pushing through adversity, but they weren't serving one another. Speaking of serving one another, this coming Wednesday the 20th is is World Refugee Day. Uh, We often set aside a day to remember things we forget about the rest of the year. Happy Father's Day, by the way. (laughs) This is a time when it's vital for the church to see and hear and stand with those fleeing danger and seeking asylum in our communities. This week on Refugee Day, there's a group of us uh, cyclists with World Relief Seattle. They're gonna leave from Kent and ride our bikes for five days to Spokane. I think there's a few of you guys out there that are riding. Any hands? Yes, this is gonna be great, guys. We can do it. Uh, the goal is to raise funds to help resettle refugees in our, in our community. So far, we've raised $117,000 that will be tripled by a government grant, $350-something thousand dollars uh, that will go directly to helping refugees in practical ways build a, build a new life. Uh, I'm riding because a few years ago, I met uh, a Middle Eastern uh, man and his family, the refugee, And I was just reminded in this moment, sitting in his living room, that Jesus, that my Lord and Savior, also was a Middle Eastern refugee. And that has incredible power in my life. So I want to share with you a video of another refugee named Al. Al's story is a common one, and I think that it beautifully illustrates what maturity and the fullness that can be found uh, when we look a little closer, celebrating our unity and gifting and our love for one another. So let's watch this together. What is the supreme law of the land? Constitution. 
What are two rights in Declaration of Independence? Freedom of life uh, and yeah, yeah. pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness, yeah. <laughs> Having this opportunity to become an American. It's, it's just amazing. Because in the States, you can become whatever you want. That would have never happened if I was still in Iraq. After the war, there was a lot of extremism and there was a lot of terrorism. My mom is a dentist. My dad had a couple of machine shops. Terrorist groups wanted to take money from my dad. People would try to kidnap me from front of my house. They tried to kidnap me from my school. They burned down my, uh, my mother's medical center. We're to the point like, that's it. We have to leave. When you apply to become a refugee, whatever country decides to accept you, you're going to go there. They're asking you about every single detail of your life. Passports, IDs, background checks, full body check, multiple interviews. The process took from 2008 to 2012 just to get approval to enter the United States. We touched down at Chicago. I turned to my mom and was like, are we really here? It's like, is that States? We're, we flew to the States, we're not going back. We're finally here, we're in the States. Uh, it's gonna be safe from now on. But at the same time, it's overwhelming. Imagine yourself in a totally new culture. You don't have friends, you don't know anybody, nobody knows anything about you. The system is new and foreign. You don't know anything. You don't know what the next stage of life is going to be. But at the airport, Words Relief met us, and they helped me accelerate immediately. They told me, we will support you, you go for it. They taught me how to make a resume, how to write a check, how to pay bills, English classes, job classes, everything that we need to know to start our own life. Words Relief helped me find my first job. I was a machine operator. I saw the blueprint and I was reading the names of the people that actually did the blueprint. And I said, I wanna, I wanna be the person that put my name on it. So I went to my supervisor and I told him, what can I do to, to excel in my job? He was like, go to school, study this. Word Relief helped me in all that. Financial aid, there's FAFSA, there's, there's this university, there's this college. Go for it, do this, do this. After five years of going to school part-time, I was able to get my associate degree in automated manufacturing technology. And today I'm a design engineer and a part-time college instructor. Being here with my family, it's a dream. I, I know they're safe and they know that I'm safe. Three months ago, I became a US citizen, which is really exciting. Now I'm an American. Achieving all that is just amazing. And it was not just because I worked hard for it. Word Relief guided me through the right path. They are my friends. These are the people that helped me become what I've become today. Hey man, that's a cool story, huh? 
Grateful for our partner, uh, World Relief in Seattle, for the work that they're doing. Reminded this week that a mature people of God welcomes the stranger among us, that we see ourselves as a body. When one part suffers, as we read, we all suffer. Maturity calls us beyond ourselves to a fuller understanding of the kingdom of God that we've been invited into. But we slip into fear, don't we? We put each other in boxes as a means of control. Like children, we often are preoccupied with fairness in what's ours. And Jesus spoke of this in a story in Matthew 20. He, he wanted us to know that the ethics and the economy of his kingdom were different. So he tells a story, he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed them to pay, pay them a day's wage and sent them out into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. And he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out again and found still others standing around and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them for their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when they came, those who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last only worked an hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of their work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired the last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. I heard someone say this week uh, that, that many of us were born on third base and think we hit a triple, while others were starving outside the ballpark. I was watching baseball at the time, and so it particularly hit me convicted by this we argue about about place in line and who's deserving of what but we miss the point when we do that aren't we glad that God owns the vineyard and has given us a job working it aren't we glad we have a father who who seeks us out and he brings us in and gives us good gifts and the opportunity to use them 1 John 3.1 says, See what love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Now, today is Father's Day and for some of you, uh, this is a good day. You were blessed with a, with a loving earthly father and for others, this is a painful day. Maybe you're first without your father or a reminder that you aren't yet a father or another reminder of a long absence of a father. It's a good day though to remember that we are the body of Christ and our good father has given us Jesus as our head and his spirit is at work within us, unifying us, gifting us and making us mature so that the fullness of God would be on display in our life together. And our passage closes with verse 16. 
says, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part, as each part does its work. So as we respond today, I'm curious, what's your part to play? What is the work that God is calling you to? Frederick Buechner says that the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. May we know that place and find that place and work that place and till the soil in that place, doing our part to build God's kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word to us and we ask now in these moments response that you would uh, continue speaking, that as we reflect uh, on our lives and, and the situation that you have placed us in, what does it look like for us uh, to continue to do our part to build your kingdom? God, we're grateful that you are the owner of the vineyard and you've invited us to work and we're grateful for the people around us and we pray as we worship God that you would inspire us, that you would leave our hearts open to you, Lord, for your glory. We love you, your name.